from Immersive Labs, this is Cyber Humanity. Hello again, I'm your host Chris Pace. Cyber Humanity is the podcast taking cyber security personally, trying to get inside the heads of hackers as well as putting our feet in the shoes of defenders. These podcasts essentially come in two flavours, either us ranting about themes close to the hearts of security types or us chatting about threat and security stuff from recent weeks and this episode is one of those. As always, I'm joined by my very own elite threat actor group, Kev Breen, <laughs> Paul Bentham and Max Vetter. Hello. 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 Everyone said their name at the right time, which is important <laughs> as part of the intro. <laughs> otherwise the whole episode gets ruined kev yes thank you <laughs> so we are going to start uh somewhat uncomfortably in the world of cyber security certifications and training oh no um, no i'm not this is not a good idea there's already been some discussion around whether we should even talk about this. Uh, in my episode notes, and we, we share a doc between us at the, at the beginning of each episode, and at the, at the top of it, it says, gently, gently. <laughs> that was, that, that's from general counsel. So this could, yeah. this, could really, this could really go anywhere. Um, full disclosure, of course, Immersive Labs are a vendor of a platform um, that provide cyber you know cyber skills that's part of that's part of what we offer um so we we will we are going to tread carefully around this but we do i think we do have to talk about it first i, lo I love this intro though like literally we're about four <laughs> hours into this podcast and nobody even knows what we're talking about yet we we're oh, yeah. so <laughs> not talking about it we haven't even talked about it is yet. it significant have i hyper caveated it i think you've, it's enough. so bad people are just gonna be like what is he going on about <laughs> we'll we'll oh. go gently and and then there's paul <laughs> yeah, Paul, Hang on. Paul. Maybe Paul. Maybe you can tell us. Maybe you can tell us what's gone on. The, what? Why have I got the <laughs> hospital pass? <laughs> because because you were implying that I wasn't getting to the point. Well, okay, I will get to the point. Um, uh, <laughs> so, uh, companies that do similar but not the same things as us in the form of SANS and sort of a crest ncc group um combo have been compromised this week or recently and we don't want to seem like we're pointing any blame or fingers because it could be a competitor but they're not really so we're just being very careful so we're going to start <laughs> off by saying a lot um but you know this could happen to anyone allegedly we're not saying when we're, we're not saying that any you know that um there have been failings on anyone's part or anything no, like no, that no, 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 actually, failings. actually especially in the case of the sans one because the sans one was a um so there's a couple of things here the first thing is i think they've done a good job of letting us know what actually happened so that's good and i'll they're let very kev clear. talk about, i'll let kev talk about that in a sec they've been quite explicit about what's actually happened um and i think the other thing is obviously that they've got they, they should have some of the best incident responders in the game um on the on the job because most of them most of them teach sans courses um but kev what exactly what exactly has gone on with sans it seems like a big number 28,000 individual records i think they've said it is so this is a straight up social engineering attack there's like sans themselves haven't been compromised none of their infrastructure has been compromised um like i said they've done a really good job of 
keeping us informed what actually happened is they were targeted in a broader campaign uh, that's looking at gaining access to office 365 accounts which is what happened here and it's done through something um uh called consent phishing uh, and this is a specific attack against things like office 365 which is using oauth uh, the idea being that you trick somebody into installing a malicious um, plugin or OAuth and OAuth app uh, into your uh, into your account, and then that gives them access to all of your emails. And then what happened then is somebody added a forwarding rule, uh, so that all the emails that were incoming to that account were then forwarded out of that account. So uh, there was it's not like there was a big database compromised. It's not like their like their infrastructure was compromised. Uh, it was a single email account that was compromised. Uh, and we're instance. assuming that some kind of event logging or analysis of that email activity revealed that those emails were being forwarded. Uh, yeah, Office 365 has lots of logging capabilities. And you can see, um, you can, if it's all configured properly, you get a lot of rich data uh, about access, about accounts that are plugged in, about OAuth, where those access is coming from. So if it's like an unknown browser, if it's an unknown IP address, you still get those kind of notifications. So we still don't know exactly how they noticed, um, whether they were informed by somebody, um, but they're they're giving plenty of information. Like Like you said, they've got the right people available to them to be able to find out exactly what happened. I do like this. It's um as a as an attack vector, so just keeping out who was compromised for a for a minute. The that kind of um consent would you call it a consent attack? Consent phishing. Consent phishing. The that there's no because you can have all the two factor authentication you want on your account, but when you're logged into your account you could consent to some other app through OAuth, which is this kind of it's effectively lets you do single sign-on with other providers and there's it's it's a clever thing to do because it is more secure because then your identity protection is through your office 365 account and then you're using that identity you're brokering that identity to other services but of course there's no protection on that bit and it i've had um this uh type of thing come in not as a phishing attack but as just like a new service that we use is like signed up hey click here to like authorize this service with your um google account in our particular instance and you think whoa like i'm giving access to all of my emails my identity etc etc it does feel like a bit of a soft underbelly of some of the identity infrastructure um identity and access management stuff that we we use and rely on it's become commonplace as well. Like you said, OAuth login is pretty much everywhere these days. So anytime you go to a website, it says sign in with Facebook, sign in with Google. And if you're using something like Google or Office 365, um, then you could open yourself up. Now, they do give a, a nice big pop-up that says these are the permissions that are available. But honestly, how many people like actually read those? How many people pay attention to or understand what that kind of yeah. access actually means? So I think in this particular instance with Sans, like you can sort of, this is quite a, a, a new uh, type of phishing attack and pretty sophisticated, I'd say, compared to each standard like, hey, you've got $4 million waiting in a Nigerian um, bank, just give us your bank details to get it. Yeah, we don't see a lot of it. Um, like On the surface, it's not that difficult to set up. Um, if you if you're trying to like fish for Google stuff, I could create a free Gmail account. I can that. set up I can set up OAuth, and then you can you can share those details and you can build that yourself. Um, 
it's the weaponizing it and using it that makes it a bit harder uh, and then tricking people into going to uh, actually handing over the details but you could yeah you could easily sh- make it part of another attack right is if 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 paul emailed me saying you need to install this uh, on your system uh, that's linked to slack or linked to anything mm. else then i'll just go yeah okay install you know so you could probably package it in with with a more advanced attack to to get that yeah this is social engineering all the way there's several social engineering you're gonna have to trick a user into thinking it's a service they want to access yeah but it's pretty but the thing is with AWOF, like you like there's so many new SaaS products i mean even the we are not a massive company and we have quite a lot i think with all this move to remote working people are going to switch to tools that enable more remote working that gives you so many services that you're just being signed up for hey like your you know colleague has shared you this thing in this you know document sharing solution click here to log in and don't worry it's all super secure because we're going to use your standard login and what's kind of clever the attack vector is pretty cool but then the exploit that they use was just a really basic like forward all emails (laughs) auto forwarding rule yeah and like that just that's that's probably the one kind of flaw in the way that um sans had configured their office 365 account here because i think it is possible to default to blocking that as a a default setting in there like because in what possible uh work related scenario would you auto forward all your email out so i think they if it wasn't their resolution to this just to simply turn off all uh auto forwarding yeah and microsoft have wrote to, to microsoft's credit specifically with the office 365 ones uh microsoft have seen this and they've taken actions on their own side to try and identify these and we know that Microsoft are really, really good at taking legal action for like typo squatting and uh, and phishing domains that are stealing their their um their, their logos, their designs. They're super hot on going straight after them and just doing takedowns. So it could be it could be quite hard as well because I know Sans, you know, they might employ lots of contractors, right? So they're not full employees, but they'll still have access to you know a lot of training companies do that. So you know it's harder to then enforce Office 365 rules on lots of people who might not be full employees of the company as well. The old usability versus security debate. Exactly. Well, I think we did very well there, boys. I don't think we're going to get sued for that bit. (laughs) Well, well, you say that. Well, you say that. I only had... So before we move on to NTC and Crest, I just had one tiny thing about this that has bugged me. And... As always with me, it feels like it's come down to the comms around the incident. So there was an article published in the register in the usual kind of registry sort of way. It had a bit of a jokey headline, but the reporting was fair and accurate. Um, And they were asking questions about, you know, what uh, data had been uh, harvested and all this kind of stuff. Well, Sans responded to that um, to that article by kind of giving more information about who who the PII belonged to. Um, and they said, and I'll, I'll read it rather than, and I'll read it and let people infer their, kind of infer for themselves where they think my issue might be here. Um, the compromised PII consisted of information on individuals who had recently registered for our virtual DFIR summit and was intended for community outreach purposes. So this meant the data consisted of first name, last name, email, work phone, company name, work address, and country of residence. Information that is largely available in publicly available databases. No customer records, no instructor records, or other parties were impacted. Now, I'm not going to have my rant. 
I'm going to ask you guys why you think that might have oh, bothered God. me. He's setting us up. He's setting us <laughs> up. Don't do it. It's, it's that middle sentence, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's the last one, yeah. Information is largely available in publicly available databases. That's okay. the thing that... They, they, that's the... That's them trying to protect themselves a little bit, and that feels a. Uh, I think you get. Yeah. I think you get four out of four out of five for that, Kev. I think the real money shot here is that Chris is a little bit disappointed, uh, potentially that Sands may have considered uh, its customers' data to be more important than the personal data for people registering for a course, and he's he may be slightly disappointed that Sands uh, would have said that in some comms yeah <laughs> so that's great i think we've covered that i think we've done brilliantly there you've all put words in my mouth without me having to say them and those words didn't really even belong to you so great even even better i think we i think we're all sewn up there legally but now we're going to move on and talk about uh, another training provider, provider of certifications, uh, Crest and NCC Group. And basically, this is slightly more interesting in that it, what has happened is there was an internal GitHub or a GitHub that was meant for trainers that had training material on it um, that seemed to have information about how to pass Crest certifications um, that has essentially been uh, breached. A little I got bit. That right? So... Uh, I don't. That's done with fake praise, Chris. That's Kev's. That's Kev's for no, Chris. That was completely wrong. Can I just can I just stop it? Not completely wrong. Um, we don't know who went to get a account. Uh, it doesn't look like it was actually an NCC owned account. The NCC have confirmed that yes, the data was theirs, um, but the account was set up uh, like last month. Uh, so that I don't think it was actually an NCC account because there's years worth of stuff in there. Uh, so I think it's somebody who's had access to it from inside NCC who have then published it to their own GitHub um, and then it's gone from there. I don't think it was, whilst it was NCC's data, I don't think they were the owner of the GitHub account. That's uh, Understood. But the, but the point being that the information that was there um, would would seem to be uh, material that shows people how to pass the exam or that contains the answers. Yes, it does seem that there's a couple of things in here. There's, I think Crest pulled out three points. Uh, there is like step-by-step -step for old CRT uh, exams. So the old exam. like Crest, Crest registered trainer, that is. Uh, yeah, uh, practically a step-by-step. -step. This is how you complete this exam. Uh, whether they were available at the time of the exams, we don't know. Uh, and then there are some very deliberate um, documents and pieces of work that are, like I said, they're aimed at teaching you like how to pass the exam rather than preparing you for what might be in the exam. Yeah, like mm. like, like the exact, mm. you know, in a multiple choice question bit, it's just got all the questions and, and the answer you need to, to fit in, which is not so, <laughs> so much about learning. <laughs> is this a bit like past papers when you're at, at school yeah. or at uni? Yeah. Oh, yes, nice. except these these past papers may also have been live papers at the time they were originally shared internally at NCC, which would put them in breach of Crest's NDA. Uh, so NCC want their mm. staff to get Crest. Well, they have so some of them. They, they might they have, have to, to be as well because if they're working under certain government contracts, you have to be Crest registered, which oh. leads us to more interesting questions. So, well, so NCC are helping its own people pass the test by giving them past papers. 
that's, that that's may or may not be live. They're teaching, pass. they're teaching them how to take the crest exam rather than teaching them the skills they need to pass the exam. Wow, we could get we we could get in a whole debate about education because it isn't really the whole education system set up to teach you how to pass exams rather than teach you how to know stuff. Not not crest any education. This then takes us naturally to the to the key question which is how when we've talked about this before like does a does a certification indicate aptitude um and how can those kinds of certifications uh do that i mean what how do you go about ensuring that when someone takes you think with all the technology available there would be a way but how do you ensure that when someone is going through the taking of an exam or undertaking a certification that they are demonstrating uh, they are demonstrating aptitude rather than just you so know going through. What the exam. we at immersive love about people like Crest and uh, like OSCP um, is the practical nature of the exams. In that, it makes you do things that you you might need to do in the real world, and and therefore we consider it a much better way of kind of um, you know evidencing your your knowledge that you've gained, and so that and that is a but it's a problem yeah not just not but just for crest oscp had this problem as well where some of the exams were leaked all of the exams oh. were leaked yeah so um last year um offensive security who run the oscp course um it was reasonably well known that um you could pay somebody in india to basically sit your exam for you um and there were lots of people who would make use of this service that was available um and somebody, uh, and I can't remember exactly if we if we knew who it was, became incredibly frustrated with the fact that this was a thing. So what he did is he went to OSCP, who hadn't changed their exams in like five or six years, and said, I'm going to publish all the solutions for every exam unless you change them because I'm sick and tired of people just like buying the, the papers or paying someone to do it. Uh, and he actually followed through on that. Uh, he actually published all of the details for all of their live exams, uh, which then... Uh, OECP took two courses of action, which I kind of like, uh, and one which uh, I'm not a massive fan <laughs> of. Uh, the first one is they they, they rebuilt all their, their exams, um, published new ones, uh, so that was great, and they did that very quickly. Uh, the second one, uh, so it's an on, it's uh, OSCP is an online 48-hour exam, 24-hour practical, 24 hours to write the report. I've done it. It's brutal. Um and what they're doing now is it's moderated. Did you moderated. actually do it or did you get somebody in India to do it for you? <laughs> <laughs> Brutal pain uh, for that. Like my, my wife can attest to the many late night studying. Uh, I'm that not I sure that she's an independent witness. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to tell you how they get independent witnesses now. They, you have to live stream. So you have a webcam on. Uh, and whilst you're sat there doing your exam, uh, I don't know if it's actively monitored or just recorded for screening purposes. Uh, but you have to have your um, your webcam I'm pretty, on. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's actively like a, yeah. like a effectively Twitch screen. Effectively, your the Twitch most boring screen. Twitch screen. I'm pretty sure it is monitored. Uh, yeah. So you uh, you have to take breaks, which wow. for me would be the incredibly <laughs> difficult part. So like like I said, it's a 24 hour exam, uh, and my i had no sleeping schedule during that 24 hours and there was i was there for pretty much all of it like right up to the wire uh and i'd grab like a couple of hours and of sleep and come back at like two in the morning do another 20 minutes set some scans running go and get some sleep come back so uh yeah it's it's not fun uh and it's 
super stressful um, because it's so tightly constrained with time. Like the thought of having somebody monitoring me like early hours in the morning, like have I remembered to put my pants on when I came back from bed? <laughs> <laughs> if I stand this up and walk away. big brother. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, it does have that kind of feel to it. But uh, I, I love OSCP. It's a very difficult course. It's a very difficult exam. Uh, and if you're doing it properly, it shows that you've got those skills because it is such a practical thing. So on one hand, I kind of like the fact that they're tightening uh, the stuff behind it. Yeah, and clearly, um, you know, the, the reason for the backlash is because of what you just described. If some people are, you know, giving their all to pass that exam and then that's being like flagrantly, flagrantly disregarded by um, by others, then clearly something will have to be done. I think the in the case of the... Um, uh, the, the cresting i suppose there seems to be a willingness to potentially game the system to get as many people certified as possible and that um obviously raises questions that not only does that not help those providing the training it doesn't uh, it doesn't help those providing the certifications either i have heard of other instructors when when i was a instructor uh, teaching things like certified ethical hacker as well i, I heard uh, that other instructors basically just gave answers to to the exam at the end and so and and you see all over the internet it's like guarantee pass it's like well if it's guaranteed pass what is the value in that certification i, I did an ibm course and the instructor uh, he'd flown over from america uh, and he <laughs> it was when he said every time you see me do a little tap dance that's a question that's going to be on the exam uh, and like through the entire three-day course, uh, you just see him tap like, dance he'd the whole him. three days. Did he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some something would come up when the slides would come up, and he'd just do this little dance, and then you'd see everybody like furiously writing that down, and then just like zone out until he tap danced again. I don't really understand why anybody bothers with all this, though, because can't you just buy a master's in cybersecurity? Cover <laughs> 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 yeah, that's it. That's yeah. The pre- pre- see previous rant. Yeah, see previous rant. <laughs> Uh, uh, interesting. See, so NCC Group are heavily embedded with Crest as uh, one of the founders. Uh, so NCC uh, Mark Turner, uh, who's the Crest GB chair, uh, has recused himself uh, from the entire investigation uh, pending its outcome. I've only ever heard the word "recuse mm. myself" in American uh, yeah. legal dramas. Something to do with Trump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Season Your three favorite. of the good, season three of the Good Wife. There's loads of recusing. <laughs> recusing all over the place um I, did we cover that adequately i don't I really feel like we got into trouble there I at think all we did. so yeah. no, well done everybody good. strong no, game pretty good <laughs> strong. good work okay let's move on to something completely different and that is the use of facial recognition by law enforcement so in the uk uh, this week, Liberty, the human rights group, are celebrating after the Court of Appeal ruled that the use of facial recognition, or AFR, tech, I'm not sure why it's AFR, oh, automatic, automated. maybe. Automated? Yeah, maybe. Um, by the South Wales police, in this case, was unlawful, um, although the force has said that they may not stop future pilots of, uh, of this technology. Um, and the case was... Um, brought by Liberty um, when an activist discovered that their image had been captured twice in 2017 and 2018 as police trawled through crowds to match images with suspect headshots in their database, which to me just sounds like the kind of thing that would happen in spooks like in the mid-2000s and we thought it was science fiction. But it turns out they can actually do this stuff 
Um, and that is, uh, you know, according to the Court of Appeal, is a problem and is not going to be allowed to happen uh, anymore. What? What? This is ridiculous. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I, I don't see. I don't see any problem with it. So there's, there are questions that come from your question. Um, are you saying what's wrong with somebody not being happy about the image being captured? Are you saying what's wrong with the police doing it? Are you saying what are you saying? What, I just don't even understand asking? why this is a story. Why are we even talking about this on the podcast? This is like cyber humanity, like. There are CCTV they... cameras. We perform some analytics on those cameras and make sure that people are safe, keep safe. Well, I don't say so there's no problem here. <laughs> the middle part that you sort of glossed over that like heavily involves, uh, you know, systems and technology and like, oh, it's all it's doing is taking my image and what you describe as doing some analysis. Do you want to try and get dig a little bit deeper into what we might mean by doing some analysis? Well, okay, we it, the the clue is in the title it's automated facial recognition so it's looking at pictures in the cctv feeds and yep. trying to match them to people that they know that seems right pretty, and how is it do- how me. is it doing that matching automatically great uh, and machine learning machine right. learning ai is be a thing here. ai okay so now we're already now some of us already are thinking oh i'm gonna have to tread water for a little bit here the machine learning has been mentioned the actual issue with this and the reason why it's a breach of the european uh, convention on human rights is that it doesn't adequately prote- uh, prevent for discrimination based on gender or ethnic grounds that's its problem, that the facial recognition technology isn't good enough. Yes. I can see you all eye-rolling at me for defending this, but... The p- I'm defending it. Thanks, Kev. I'm on your side, You Paul. just quietly... <laughs> you've tuned out. I'll leave Paul's here. I've thrown to I the wall. I have to say, but... The, uh, the thing about this is, I have put a CCTV camera up, right? It's up there, outside the Millennium Stadium, which is pr- presumably where most of this like stuff... I don't, nothing else happens in South Wales, right? So I've got these cameras up. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Uh, everybody max is welsh that's the um nobody would know because he's, yeah. he's nobody would know because he hasn't got a welsh accent but he well, drinks you know, he drinks I'm from well Cardiff. That's, <laughs> in the english part of wales um the um oh dear. i'm gonna get hate mail uh, yeah yeah we i've put a cctv camera up outside my little stadium and i'm pointing it at people and the whole point of those cctv cameras is to make sure that like law and order is like protected that criminality is recorded and i'm storing all those images in real time on hard drives right why are we doing that we're doing that in order to understand what's going on in those images so why is it wrong to put in some extra technology that looks at that data that's already been stored and then uses that to give the law enforcement um members of the south wales police a data point on whether or not there is a potential criminal actor in that crowd there potentially to cause trouble yeah, because there's a lot of non-criminal actors, though, right? In that crowd, that, that's the yeah. But point. we've all. One of my point is, we've already crossed that Rubicon. We've already put the camera up and recorded the data. Now I'm doing something with the data. No, but that's much more powerful, right? Can you imagine that, Craig? If we, uh, if there was something happened and the police force turned around and said, "We had the CCTV footage. We saw that it was coming, and we did nothing with it." If I've got a list of uh, pictures of potential terrorists you look at what happened in manchester you look at what happened in london on the bridge if you've got terrorists that have been identified 
and you're not processing that data in real time, then what's the point of having those cameras? Oh, look, after the event, we could see that the bad actor was wearing a vest and coming into the stadium. The reason that the um, judgment was upheld was because the court agreed that there were, first of all, fundamental deficiencies in the legal framework and so therefore rights were breached but the ruling also stated that the fact remains that the south wales police had never sought to satisfy themselves either directly or independently that the software did not have an unacceptable bias in terms of how it worked on on any on any grounds in this case they're talking about grounds of of race or or gender but actually this goes back to like this is not just to do with this ruling this is to do with the widely accepted and mostly agreed upon view that facial recognition is appalling when it comes to particularly racial bias it's just not very good and so it's okay for you to say a bit of processing on some video but that doesn't deal with the fundamental problem which is it is not fit for purpose what you describe it cannot do and until it can in my view it shouldn't be being used in this way but how can you build it? If you can only get better by testing it and building I it. I don't think there's anything can... wrong with testing it. And I think if a police force was telling us that they were that they that they were testing, I think one of the challenges here as well is that they hadn't made clear to people who were captured by the system that it was being tested. Hey, hang on, I think you've gone. But the problem with the point you're making, Chris, is that I'm not putting a machine gun on top of that CCTV camera and mowing down people that the camera identifies as a bad actor. It's not wow. like there's a, a camera and an effect straight afterwards. These people aren't getting arrested. They're not getting machine gun. It's not like some sort of dystopian future. It's a data point. And it says, hey, law enforcement, there is a potentially bad actor in that crowd. You might want to consider whether or not that person is the bad actor we think they might be or not. I, I think it's quite clear if this technology would stop those terrorists on the bridge or whatever, I don't think any of us would be uh, in disagreement with that happening. I think it's, but it's always easy to say, well, what if it does this thing? But it doesn't, right? It didn't stop those terrorists. And, and, and police have had facial recognition and we've got more CCTV cameras in this country than ever, any other country uh, in the world. And it it's kind of like you, you can't just link the two because what where do you stop you know is it is it just the terrorists or is it the black lives matter or is it when 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 does this facial recognition go too far and and being an ex-police officer obviously i want to stop any crime that's going on and i think cctv can be a really good tool but you've got to balance that with the european court of human rights yeah but my issue with this right i can hear where you're going but my issue with this is that the headline is facial recognition is bad Right. The premise of where you've gone with that is that CCTV cameras are bad. No, that we never said that. And if it, well, then why I'd understand? I don't understand what's wrong with the processing of that data. The processing of that data. It's nothing wrong with even the processing of that data. The processing of that data poorly is is my is but my if biggest. If it's got a load of false uh, false positives, then what's there's still no problem with that. It's just a data point. It's better than the police officers just having to look through it all manually like would you rather there be thousands of police officers doing it like themselves no one's going to disagree with you about you have to use video evidence for the purposes of you know um uh, convicting people of crimes no one's gonna no one's gonna disagree with that the challenge here is that a technology has been used clearly before it was a before it was ready and b that 
I'm just going to come out and say it, was probably built by a load of white tech bros in San Francisco, and it doesn't work properly. I, I, I still come back to the point that this te- if this te- we need this technology to work, it's going to save lives. It is, we're not just talking about terrorists. Like, if children go missing, like being able to actively track them through busy city streets by using this kind of technology, but you can only get this technology to a point where you can use it by actively building it, by putting it in place and using it. And yes... It might have a high false positive rate, but that that's not the technology. It's the police officer who goes and reviews that, like Paul said. like It just tells you this has happened. There's no immediate effect from it. So we need better training for the people who are monitoring and using these systems. Teach them, get them to remove their biases rather than like, trusting the machine. So I suppose the, the point of talking about the, the, the um, article is, do we, do we think this will stop the rollout of um, facial recognition within CCTV or do we think this is you know this ruling would do anything or it's just a blip in the uh, the development of it the legal teams will find a way around yeah I think that probably will happen but I think the, the other thing is that when this is not this is not unique to the to the UK there are much bigger conversations being had across the Atlantic particularly in the wake of Black Lives Matter and the how you want to define civil unrest that came out of that there are questions being asked of law enforcement about how facial recognition technology is being used and there is a feeling you know amongst a certain um, parts of the population that that information is not being um, is not being shared there are already questions being asked about how NYPD use facial recognition and the argument is the NYPD aren't answering those questions so I think it's a much bigger it's a much bigger thing than just this. Uh, the, the the genesis of machine learning and the methodology that's applied to actually get to you know what Paul describes as a as a data point is actually kind of fundamentally broken if it's going to try and do what this is trying to make it do. Um, so I think there's bigger conversations to be had about how we get data because what kev is saying is we need to have the data in order for the systems to be able to work properly we do but when that data point is someone's face or what one might call personally identifiable information then that that creates a that creates a problem doesn't it i think we've already established that pictures aren't pio Uh, (laughs) it's it's common knowledge knowledge. Well, we came to no conclusions there. <laughs> that's, that's good. But it we was don't, a good one. That was a good one. That was a good one. Anyway, that brings us to a close. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe, rate, and comment wherever you get your audio content. And if you want to know more about Immersive Labs, you can find us at immersivelabs.com or follow us on Twitter at Immersive Labs UK. Until next time, from all of us, goodbye. 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 Oh, 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 oh,